We read in uh, this week's Parsha Emor, Perik um, Chafbet, the you know, probably the most common uh, common leading. Um, right, so we have a about sacrificing young animals. Then Veshoro says so that Benolos Shchutubi Yomichad, right, sacrificing a mother and its uh, and its child animal the same day. Then we have the halachas about uh, bringing a korban toda and how fast, how rapidly you have to eat it. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, we get the losechalu ushmartem That's generic, right? Keep all misvod. The losechalu it shem kachiv nikdashti betoch bnei Yisrael ani Hashem mikadishchem amosiyachem eris Yisraelim liyoslochem lelekim ani Hashem. So Chil Hashem just sort of shows up after a set of misvod about korbanot, and followed, of course, uh, as we know by the leaning for all the Amim Tovim. So what does Chil Hashem um, mean, and how does it relate to its context? So we could say it's a generic, there's no connection with what comes before and what comes after. It's just a generic product of doing mitzvot, and maybe it doesn't add anything uh, at all. We could read it not as a love, but as a statement. If you fulfill my mitzvot and you do them, then Okay, right, so we have an option of reading it acontextually and with no halachic implications at all. Uh, Ibn Ezra claims, right, Ibn Aharoni Daber, right, that really he's talking about the Gohanim, Parsha Deveka, right, So really, all these concerns about Kabanos and its is presumably a prohibition for Kohanim not to violate these mitzvot. Okay. Um, and, he, and he connects this because the next parsha begins by that suggests that this one was not the Bnei Israel, it was the Kohanim and even he says so that implies that the, that the the people who are being addressed are not the same as Bnei Israel, because then it would say uh, the way it says so on these basis Ibn Ezra says this is a uh, mitzvah entirely for Kohanim, with perhaps no content outside the temple ritual. Uh, the Nitziv goes the other way, and he says, "Lo sechalu kiyaduam amaramzal bekidushin daf bealef sakvadeshata rigla." Right. So he says that Chazal claimed that the that the shalosh regalim, because there are mass groups of people packed into specific places, there's much there's a risk of certain kinds of licentiousness that would not be uh, that are not as risky during the year. So we should not um, we should not create a chil Hashem during our holiday celebrations, which he claims he claims that uh, in his day the Gentile celebrations then were uh, were were desecrations, I guess, of the of the name of the God that they acted in the in uh, that they that they were um, trying to trying to worship. So we should not. Try and have our holidays uh, be that way. Uh, okay, we could try and right, talk about specific uh, specific Muslim things that we might want to uh, address around, uh, particularly alcohol and particular Jewish holidays. Um, but what, what we're interested in is that Nitziv is, is trying to connect the Easter of Chil Hashem here to the parsha that follows the Moadim, even though it's there's a right there's a parsha break uh, between them. I have to say that I am not uh, overwhelmingly convinced by either Ibn Ezra or the Nitziv, and I'm left with the best I can say is that this parsha that the Lotachal Hashem Kachi connects back to what follows immediately before, which more tent meets but then what's special about it? We have to note as well 
that um, last week, uh, in both Emor and Kedoshim, we had uh, Psukim talking about um, Kedosh Hashem and Chil Hashem in Kedoshim. Right? Parashas Kedoshim uh, begins by saying, Kedoshim tiyu ki Kedoshani Hashem alokeichem. And then a number of Psukim later, it says, Now the whole beginning of Parashas Kedoshim uh, many psukim are interrupted by are ended with so it's hard to set it's hard to set boundaries. In fact, the uh, the the pasuk that we're the pasuk prior to the one we're reading said ended um, and then we go so we could again we could read it as don't be which would be so it's not a separate halacha it's only um, it's only a statement of what will happen if you're um, we could try and connect it to but to uh, the whole pasuk so Lotigdovu doesn't fit in so well. We could try and just connect it to the things after the Esnachta, try and do all those things. Actually, sorry, that's the, that's the previous Pasuk. Right? We could try and get the the, the unit after the previous Anir Shem uh, Right? We could try and do that. I don't think it's terribly convincing. We could try and show that the Pasukim before and after Lotigdovu are all about Geneva and other types of monetary things. Beforehand, afterwards, right, the beginning of Parshas Kedoshim, uh, famously, right, one of the big theories about it is it, it, it maps the Aser Hadibrot, but it's not, right, but here we have, right, Lotignov on both sides. You want to claim that one of them is Losignov and one of them is Losachmod or Losisave? You could try and do it. I, I'm not so convinced that we have a really a really great um, understanding of it in context here as well. And then earlier in Parshat Achrimot, it says, In the midst of the Arayos, right? The Pasuk before is, The Pasuk afterwards is, And in between we have the Yisra of Molech and Okay, um, three Psukim, uh, of all of which can be read as the low creating a lotase. Um, maybe the first one, that's harder to read as just a description, so maybe that really is unquestionably an Isser, or we could say there are three Isserim, each in their independent context, but I don't know that we have a really good account of what they mean differently in each context. If Nezra says one of them is only related to Kohanim, that could be a difference. I'm not so um, convinced. But I need to tell you that um, the Rambam does seem to have had some kind of account of this, because Ram has three psukim, and he has three aspects of Kiddush Hashem. So we'll have to see whether he is intentional in the way he matches them up, or he just fits them together, and is there a way of unifying them uh, despite all that. So the Ram says, Mitzvah lota say samach gimel. The mitzvah samach gimel hi she yizirana mechil Hashem. And this is the opposite of Kiddush Hashem, although in the Sefer Mitzvah, his account of Kiddush Hashem is much less extensive than his account of Chil Hashem, so we're not right, We're not going to look at the comparison in the, in the Mishnah Torah. He tries to set up parallels. Um, but for now, we're, we're going to deal with just Chil Hashem. But just know that it's the opposite of Kiddush Hashem. Maybe it has things that extend, maybe don't. And he thinks the source for this is which is the Pasuk in this week's Parsha. 
And this sin divides into three parts. So two of them, he says, are kolel, and one of them is miyuchad. So those are tricky terms. I should note here, we're dealing with Rav Chaim Heller's uh, translation of the Sefer HaMitzvahs. Um, so we're not, right, we're not, we're not dealing with the original Arabic. Um, the original, the, the medieval translation, I think, is kolel and prati. What I think this means here, and as we go through it, you'll decide if you agree with me, uh, it doesn't mean mitzvot that apply to the klal, meaning that they're mitzvot sibur, that they're mitzvot that apply to the community as a whole, as opposed to mitzvot that apply to individual. I think that's untenable. Uh, I think what he has to mean is something like there are mitzvot that apply to every Jew in the same way, and there are mitzvot that either only apply to some Jews or apply to Jews in ways that vary in accordance with um, with their individuality. In ways that we'll see, so you'll see if you if you if you're convinced or not. So the first um, the first general one is anybody who is asked right, asked in quotation marks to violate one of the mitzvot during a time of persecution. And the person doing this is has the intent. Right, their purpose is to get you to violate halacha. Whether it's a light mitzvah or a heavy mitzvah, we all know the Gemara talks about things that are not even formal halachot, whether the Ramam is modifying that in some way, understanding that shulaises as halachic or not, is not clear. Also not clear uh, for the Ramam about whether shatashmad is just a way in which you are more likely or to know that that the purpose of the onus is lahavir, um, but it wouldn't apply if just a single bully comes up to you and says, I want you to do this because I want you to defy your God, uh, or whether the fact that some, right, that becomes a personal shot that all those versions we're going to bracket for now. Oh, right, best case number one is, let's say minimally, that somebody wishes to, somebody threatens you with the intent of causing you to violate a halacha, which, with, with, the, with their only purpose being causing you to violate a halacha, or somebody who was asked to violate one of the big three, even not bishatashmad, we have to say, but does that also require the require the ones to be mitkaven lahavir, or is it not not a requirement for those three? Hinehu chayav latir nafsho v'hareg v'yavur k'moshe b'yarna b'tshit mitzvah say. So that such a person is obligated to give up their life. Then the Rambam says something very interesting. But if you transgressed and did not get killed, so then in fact you have violated and you have violated this prohibition. And if you did it publicly, right, with ten Jews, I think it's pretty muskam of whichever gender, so then not only you violated and you violated this prohibition but you're right that you violated it already, right? So the Rabim just means you violated the Rabim. It's not clear where, what, right? Rabim comes from Nikdashti Betoch B'nei Israel. So it's not clear how that relates to the Israel Chil Hashem specifically. You have committed a great sin. But you don't get Malkos. Why? Because you're acting under compulsion. So the, and a Betin shouldn't carry out, um, Right, either flogging or execution, except with somebody who's deliberate, willing, 
and of course meets the evidentiary standards of Edim and Hatra'ah. So why he has to add in the Edim and Hatra'ah is not um, entirely clear, because you could have Edim, you can have Edim about the other person's intention, maybe you, I don't know, we have to figure out whether that's more mere boilerplate. Um, but we could say, okay, he's talking about, right, so really it doesn't tell you anything about the nature of the sin that you don't get these punishments. It's just um, that Beitin has formal technical requirements, and so the Beitin, right, the Beitin can't carry it out here because it's not Mezid Bretzon. But then he says, The language of the Sifra about giving your children to Molech, which we recall, is the con- is the context of a different pasuk about Kol Hashem? Is v'nasatia panai ba'ishahu, amru b'hahu ba'anus v'loshogei v'lomuta. Right. So you have to be in order to get kares, you can't be anus. You can't be acting under compulsion. Hinayit ba'erlecha. So this has been proven to you, right? So clarified for you. Shoveda v'dazara ba'ones. Even if you worship a v'dazara under compulsion, eno chayef kares. You don't get divine punishment. The Cholshikay means us Bezin in the Kalvachomer. If, if God can't punish you, then Bezin can't punish you. Avalavara Chil Hashem, but you have violated Chil Hashem. So at least the first kind of Chil Hashem, um, which right uh, is a very odd one, the first kind of Chil Hashem right is somebody threatens you, and it's because they threaten you that there's a Chil Hashem involved, right? Because you don't violate Chil Hashem every time, even though it says Shmartemis Vatai, right? The Raman doesn't say that every violation of every sin is a Chil Hashem. What he says is, if you violate it with, right, under the threat of somebody else, somebody else's threat, then you violate Chil Hashem. So this kind of Chil Hashem can only be violated be onus, under compulsion. The second kind also, uh, is only the Chil Hashem component is created by the threat. And even though the Chil Hashem component creates the threat, it also, right, sorry, even though the threat creates the Chil Hashem component, the same threat prevents you from being punished for it. So that's a very um, odd circularity. Um, it might suggest that um, the Minchus Chinuch famously asks, um, how can there be any mitzvot, that, uh, any, any milchamot mitzvah, uh, right? because every milchamot mitzvah is, puts your life at risk. We're not promised miracles, and you only have to die for three things. right? So why should, right? so why should there ever be, how can there ever be a mitzvah uh, because you, right, everyone should, should say, I'm sorry, I'm Pater, and the answer is, is, you don't have to tell me that there's, I don't need a Pasuk to tell me, oh, by the way, the Chaybem doesn't apply to the, uh, right, to the of Ezra Yisrael Miatzar, or the uh, Melchem or anything like that, because it's obvious in the definition of the, of the Mitzvah. So here, it's obvious in the definition of the Yisr, of Chil Hashem, that Ones isn't a Ptur. So this was a very, um, this is a very odd way of setting it up in the in the Rambam, but be that as it may, that's Chelik one. Okay, Chelik two, v'chelik hasheni akol The second case, which also fits into this category of generality, which I think means they apply to all Jews equally. Shiyasadam avera ain't avabo vlohana'a. Okay, or right, a person does an avera, they have right ain't taiva, but they have no, there's no desire for the outcome of right or for the action. And you're not getting anything out of it. But your intention in doing this action is exclusively to, or at least primarily, or maybe at least partially, right? It doesn't tell you, right? But the Chil Hashem component comes because your intention is to defy God. So here there's no there's no other party, and there's no publicity, there's no audience. Well, not, not, forget an audience 
of ten of ten adult Jews, right? For not even the audience of the person threatening you. So this kind of right, you might have thought that that other kind of chil Hashem was created because you did something in front of somebody else. Uh, but here, that can't be part of the definition. Here is entirely you and God. Uh, so what they have in common, I think, with these two two forms is that your kavana in the second kind is the same as the kavana of the anas in the first. Right, the anas only wants you to trans right to act in order to transgress God's will, and here you only want to act to transgress God's will. So chil Hashem, it seems like we could come with a neat definition. Chil Hashem is engaging in actions which have as their sole purpose. The violation of God's will, and just one case, it's your your pur- that's your sole purpose. In the other case, even though your purpose is to stay alive, it's the other person's purpose in threatening you, and that's what Chil Hashem is. We can try and figure out, like why does it desecrate God's name when someone acts uh, specifically to defy to defy God? But that at least gives us a working definition. And the Rambam, but the, even though we could put these two together, uh, the Rambam says here, Vinay. This kind of chiloshoyim gets malchus because there's no onus. Right? So there's no onus. So why shouldn't you get malchus? Theram says here I have a context, and the context I have is um, is right. As the pasuk says, taking a, taking God's name for a falsity. Then why would you do that? The Rama says you can't. That you have no hana component. There's no taiva for it. You can talk about that, right? Because maybe right, the desire to swear is itself, you know, some kind of taiva, especially in the context of an argument. We can talk about whether that's the case. That really is the case or not. But the Rama seems to think this is the uh, the paradigm of an iser done that really has no motive other than defying uh, than defying God, and therefore that becomes his. Um, the second pasuk becomes his. His pasuk for this kind of chil Hashem. Then he says, "Ba'chedek hamiyuchadu." But the third category, she yaseh adam yadu b'malah v'hatov. A person who is known for elevation and for goodness. Um, again, this is Rav Chaim Heller's translation. Ha'pula achad. If you do one action, tereb enehah hamon shuavera. That um, the populace, right, the masses, think that what you're doing is a transgression. So you do something that. That everyone thinks is aser. So it's not clear whether this is in the minds of everyone else or just objectively. And it's not right. Things like this, right? Things that are analogous to that are not proper to somebody who has that kind of communal respect. Um, right? It sounds like this is a public or this is an audience-centered thing again. Um, right? So you do things that. A, they think are usher, and B, either they think it's inappropriate for you, or they really are inappropriate for you to do, and in accordance with your level. Even though, in fact, it is mutter. Uh, right, we'll see in the Mishnah Torah that's not, and well, you see that some Akronim in the Mishnah Torah don't necessarily agree with that, uh, or don't read it quite the same way. So you write, so that is a Chil Hashem. And then skipping to the bottom, he says, and this chlav is repeated, and now we quote the first pasuk in Achrayimot, where it says, So he doesn't tell you explicitly that this third pasuk is there for the third kind of um, for the third kind of Achil Hashem, and it'd be very hard for him to say that because the context there is not right is adultery; it's just not 
um, right? Not or or Mishkav Zachar, which not neither of which have anything to do with the stature of a person in the community or Molech. And as true as he quoted Molech up above right, in his proof about uh, his proof in his proof about um, about uh, he can't be punished he can't be punished for onus. So it would be neater if he had um, neither if he had moved the psukim around. I don't have a really good way. I would love it if there were somebody could find a way to connect the Ramam's three kinds of uh, of Chil Hashem to the three psukim in the respective context. I have not succeeded in uh, doing so as yet. Okay, I skipped something though at the end. Is where does Ram get this whole idea that there's this third kind of Chil Hashem, which is applies only to an Adam Yadu Abimala Vatov Pula? So. He quotes the Gemara in Yuma Daf Pevav Menalaf. Vuham Ram, Hechi Dami Chil Hashem. So what is Chil Hashem? So Hechi Dami is an interesting question. Uh, in fact, whenever the Gemara asks or a case on anything like that, you always have to ask the question: What kind of example are we looking for? Are we looking for the most obvious example, the thing everyone right? We're looking for a typical example, or we're looking for an extreme example that you that you wouldn't have thought of your own way. So it's not clear which one the Gemara is asking you for. Now the Ram gives you two cases. The first one is introduced by Kigon Anna. Right, like me, but he's quoting the Gemara. It doesn't mean like me. He's quoting a right, he's quoting an Amora who says uh, like me, but he doesn't give the name. And then he quotes a second thing of the Gemara, which is Rabbi Ploni Amar, Rabbi So and So said. So the Chaim Heller claims, and certainly it's right that sometimes the Ram just doesn't quote names. So that maybe there's nothing unusual about him leaving the names out. Um, I don't know of another case. I you know I ran a Barilan search where it's Rabbi Ploni Amar, where he he quotes you know where he substitutes. Uh, a fill, you know, a, a filler, a John Doe for the name. So I, I think it's a question. We'll try and get to it in a little bit. So So someone like me, that I take meat from the butcher and I don't give the money immediately. So the first question is like, what is the case? It sounds like in some way it's a case where you take credit when credit is uh, right. You, you take a, a purchase on credit. When the credit credit is not assumed, um, but what kind of dialogue is it with somebody? Is what's what's Chil Hashem like? Well, Chil Hashem is like that thing I do. That's a very odd. Uh, that's a very odd notion. Um, and then the second one is Reiponiyamar like me, who goes for Amot without Torah and without Tefillin. So these two right, these two Amoras, like what are they doing? In uh, in saying Chil Hashem is like that thing that I do, that's a very odd way to uh, to act. Uh, maybe that's why the Raman didn't want to put names in. Uh, now there's an alternative approach as to why the Raman didn't, didn't want to put names in, which you can find in the uh, Chidot in the uh, in Shut Chaim Shaal Chelik Bet Sin Mem Gimel. The the Chidot asked the question this way. Adam Gadol, but Torah before Sam He's asking for he he's actually dealing with the version in the um, in the Mishnah Torah. Uh, Mishnah Torah again has much more parallels where if you if you avoid doing an avera for this right only for Hashem's sake like Yosef and Sadek, so that's a Kiddush Hashem. So there are parallels. But here's here's the version in the in the Yisodiah Torah. Then we'll get to the Chida. Uh, says Hashem Adam Gadol so he, here the requirements are you have to be gadol b'torah mufursam b'chasidut. Chasidut is a little bit ambiguous whether it means that you do chasadim or it means that you're extremely pious. I think probably the latter, but we'll see that that was not the way it came out in the 
I believe in the earlier translation of the Sefer Mitzvot, so uh, it could go both ways. And it's just things that people gossip about you because of negatively. Um, and but there's certainly and he gives us this case, and he gives the same um, the same cases just with qualifications, right? If you don't pay immediately, but you have the money and you and the people are dunning you, and you're just doing this to take a uh, you know, to to take a float on on the money for to borrow the money with, uh, without uh, without the permission of the of the owner for a brief time. Uh, he has another requirement right, or you engage in frivolity there, that wasn't in the Sefer Mitzvot um, okay, but right, but in the last line it matters to us, right, or if you talk unpleasantly, fine so even though none of these things are us sir, in accordance with your greatness that's how much you have to be insistent on yourself and go lifnim mishur asadin so the Chidah says, hang on a second, So that sounds like you have to be arrogant. Right? In order to violate Chil Hashem, you have to, right, in order to avoid violating Chil Hashem, you have to be arrogant and think you're a great person. Um, because if you're not a great person, you can't violate Chil Hashem at all. So the Chidah says, Nira Pashut, Duhu Hadin, Misha Muxak Gadol, Afki Be'emes Gadol, Makirhu Right, so it's obvious that somebody who is has a reputation in their city as great, even though they're not great, and you recognize they recognize about themselves they're not great. Since the people think the populace thinks that he the masses think that he's great, who who Hashem or Hashem, depending which right, which way you want to bring it, right? So such a person can create a Chilul Hashem. Right, so he says, right, why did the Ram leave the names out? So he doesn't address it that way, but I think it's partially that it could be, he's trying to address the same problem, which is, hang on a sec, it's arrogance for Rav to say, if Chil Hashem only applies to somebody who is Gadol Baturam for some, uh, right, um, so then Rav can only give himself as an example if he's Gadol Baturam. So the solution is no, that Rav knew the halacha, that it's not just being a Gadol Baturam. It's even somebody who has a false reputation as a Gadol Baturah. So, Rav wasn't being arrogant because he, of course, did not think of himself as a Gadol. He only thought of himself as a... Um, he only thought of himself as somebody who had a reputation as being a Gadol. And the reputation is an objective thing, so that, that didn't violate it. Now, of course, there are other people. My uh, 11th grade Rebbe, Rosh Lama Danziger, um, gave a Muster Shmuz once about the difference between what he called Western and Eastern humility, uh, uh, right, that proper humility... Is recognizing right? Is recognizing what you are, but recognizing that the, the differences among human beings amount to nothing uh, when you're comparing human beings to God. So that shouldn't be arrogant just because you realize that you're right that you're a great person because your standards have to be relative to Shemayim and not relative. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu could be enough to be called Adam, and yet still really know that he was Moshe Rabbeinu. Otherwise, you would say Moshe Rabbeinu was an error that creates its own theological uh, theological difficulties. Um, so that's right. Uh, so, right, so if that's the case, then um, you, you don't have a problem at all, right? So why not say Kigona no? To some extent, this connects to the Gemara, I think, in Sota, uh, where the right, uh, the um, the Brayta says Mishemes Rebbe, but la Right, for once Rebbe, when Rebbe died, then uh, humility and fear of sin were right ceased to be, and along comes Chav uh, Yosef, and he says. 
uh, don't teach, right? Lotisni, um, you're a, don't teach, don't say humility, because there's me. So I, when I saw this Kagonana, right, it always immediately puts me in mind of the Ikana. Um, so what do we do? So if you want to claim that, that there's no obligation to, uh, right, that it would be wrong to try not to have a, uh, an accurate evaluation of self-worth, so then we can say, okay, it wasn't arrogance for Yosef to recognize that he was in fact the humblest of people. And here too, it wasn't arrogant for Rav to recognize that he was, uh, that he was, that he was truly great. And, um, right, so that, that, that still leaves the other problem, which is, what about, right, what, how can Rav say that Achil Hashem is an example of what he actually does? Right, that's a very, uh, that's a very, that's a very hard thing to claim that, Right, that he's great, he's aware he's great, and yet he gives an example of Chil Hashem, a sign that he does regularly. Uh, sounds like, you're going to know it, right? The Shekil Nabisra Mitabacha. So, there are different girsos here. Uh, the girsa we have in the Vilna Shas, which is in some manuscripts, is, Right, if I were to do that. So, you have to really, you know, so the Rav has, is aware Either of his actual stature of, or of his public reputation, and he gives an example, but he doesn't give an example of his actually violating Chil Hashem, which is what the Rambam's Kirsa would have you. Um, but rather, he gives you an example of right of what would be a Chil Hashem if he were to do it. And of course, he's very careful uh, not to do it. And you can read the Rambam's Kirsa that way as well, or you could say that it was this problem that caused somebody to put in the word E, because they couldn't imagine how could somebody possibly. Describe themselves as um, as engaging in Chil Hashem, especially a Gadol like Rav. So the problem with this solution is that um, we get to Rabbi Yochanan's example. Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yochanan Mar, Kigon Anoh, Demaskina Arba Almost Below Torah Below Tefillin. There's no E. Right? It's not Kigon Anoh E Maskina. So even our Gersa doesn't have that solution for uh, for Rabbi Yochanan. So how can we solve the problem of Rabbi Yochanan being the Gadol? Saying Kigona no, and yet apparently violating Chil Hashem. So here we should mention that there's a wholly different shot um, in the kind of Chil Hashem mentioned in this sugya. Um, so the reason, right, the, the question Hechidami Chil Hashem is actually generated by a uh, preceding brayta of the context is talking about what sorts of things you get kapara for in what way, and the the brayta takes the position that there are that. You get kapara, right? Has complicated its own right, but it presents it as there are three chalukim kapara, and the fourth kind of thing you don't get kapara for, except you do through misa. So we're going to bracket that question, and that fourth kind of thing, the, the category for which kapara is hardest, at least, is chil hashem, and avomishi is chil hashem biado, right? So that right, so in lo koch truvali klot v'lo biyamikipurim lechaper v'lo bisurin lemarek ela kulan tolan misa mareket. Okay, to which. Um, to which um, the Rashi says, "Aval mishyesh chil Hashem, chotei machti acherim." Rashi defines chil Hashem in this context as sinning and causing others to sin. Okay, that's not a definition that we see anywhere in the Rambam. So now, how does Rashi deal with this kagonano? So Rashi says, "Amarav kagonano yishakil nabisra mitabachav lo yivne dami laalter." Dekeshani macher lifroa when I delay paying. Who omer shani gazlan? So the the butcher says, ah, that person is a thief. And he learns from me to be uh, to be uh, you know, less less particular 
about stealing from other people's property. So that's a, it sounds, feels like a real push to say that, that the reason that Rav is talking about this is because other people will learn from me. If it's wrong, it's wrong. What do we care about? Why, you know, so Rashi has to put in the Chotei Mahdi because it's his reading of the sugya, and he has a reason for reading the sugya that way, because there's another sugya that says that the Chotei Mahdi is the one chain speaking the Adela, so it's Truva. But, still still a hard reading. Now, what about Rabbi Yochanan? So, Rabbi Yochanan, so, like me, who walks four hours without Torah and Shilin, so Rashi adds on this, and not everyone knows that I have become weak in my learning. So, does that mean that Rashi thinks this happened when Rabbi Yochanan is old? And that's why he right that he, so he can't sustain that level of concentration physically. Maybe his right tefillin has to do with bodily infirmities as well. Uh, or does he think that just people don't understand that I sometimes don't have the capacity to learn with that kind of intensity or learn at all? And I need a break. Um, Sir Yochan is a prisoner of his reputation that way. Right? People have such a high opinion of him that if he ever goes anywhere with Without right, not learning and and not wearing tefillin, everybody immediately starts uh, right now. According to Rashi, what do they do then? What they do is um, right. So well, the um, well, Everybody says, Ah, look, Rabbi Yochanan battle, so I can battle also. So again, that connection to Chotei Machti the Rabbim seems to me uh, something that Rashi is imposing in the sugya, which I am not. I don't think the Ram learned it that way, and I'm not, it's not obvious to me that that's pshat in the sugya. But he makes it clear that Rabbi Yochanan is talking about himself. So you, right, it's not the you can't try and reread Rabbi Yochanan to say if I were he really is, and Rabbi Yochanan really is a prisoner of his position. Uh, so what is Rabbi Yochanan doing when he says Kagon Ano? And he gives an example, right? So is it really that Rabbi Yochanan really believes that he is Mechal Hashem Shemayim? He has no choice about it at all. That would be very, very dark. Uh, now, he could solve the problem. Rabbi Yochanan could get up and diminish his reputation. And if he diminishes his reputation, and say, oh, Rabbi Yochanan, that potlin, everybody, you know, that would be great. And there'd be no Chil Hashem anymore. Does he have to do that? Even, let's say, let's suppose it really is a, um, it really is a product of age. Does he have to publicly declare his infirmity? Um, right? That's a very, uh, and what if it's not age so much, right? Um, Right, the Rav famously said that he never had any difficulty concentrating until his wife was nifter, and then you know there were there was a gap in his life, and it made it really hard to learn. Uh, so he changed his relationship to his students because of that. But was he obligated to tell everybody that? By the way, I'm having trouble learning now because I, I don't have my wife, and that was what kept me uh, capable of that kind of fierce concentration. Um, I don't know. So I, I would rather um, try and read the sugya. You know, with a certain degree of um, humorous ambivalence, that refers whenever you say "kigonana," so you understand that if you're making a statement which is going to be perceived by many as arrogant, if it's in the context of it has to be somebody who is great, and that's likely, right? At least that's the way the Rambam reads the sugya, right? If, that um, that the reason it's Rav and Rabbi Yochanan say it is because this is the kind of Chil Hashem that only applies to people who are great. And what they're trying to do is show you that you know, the greater you are, the lesser a violation it is. So now, I think that if you're, if, you, if, you're, if you're aware of how other people think, if you're benachas and mebrios, not benachas, but you're merav, you understand how other people think, 
So you have to recognize when you give a shear about Chil Hashem and you say that it only applies to a Gadol Betura, and you start off by saying, so people are going to take that to some degree as expressing ego. And there isn't really a way around that, though, if that's the, what you really need to illustrate. And what you're trying to illustrate is, right, at, uh, right, is how far it has to go, you know, that that as you advance, right, you're trying to teach your students that as you advance in learning um, and in public repute, that carries responsibilities with it. So, um, right, so you have to use some examples. So there has to be some degree of, uh, of humor in it to soften that. So I wonder if... Um, Rav and Rav Yochanan didn't do things about which they were mentioned things that they didn't really believe Rechel Hashem Shemayim, but they were the things that sometimes kept them up at night. They were ambivalent about, and so there was an element of self-mockery by in getting everyone to understand, wow, this could be a Rechel Hashem Shemayim. Now, what interests me about this in the Gemara, uh, so in Rav Yochanan, right, the reason is like, can you, now we talked about, you can you guess you can be Bechel Shemayim Be'ones, um, but it can even this kind of onus, but the onus is not because somebody else is compelling you to act against your will, <coughs> but just because you're a prisoner of your reputation. <coughs> That's an extreme, but I think you can understand what the Havamin is, and so why Rabbi Yochanan would use that as an, as an example, even if that maybe that's not true in the end, lehalacha um, in that exact case. So when it comes to uh, when it comes to Rav, so Rav says that right talks about the meat case, and then Abaya says. Right, because you saw the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah pick up. It's only right. The Rambam may have the reverse gears, not our issue. But Abayah says that Abayah says our says Abayah, but none of the manuscripts have Abayah, and I don't think that's correct. I think it's probably the Stam of the Gemara um, tying tying this in. It's not Rav himself saying. So we have is Rav makes this cl- this straightforward claim. Right, this is Chil Hashem when I do this, or even if I were to do this. Let's take the gears of when I do this, because I think that's parallel to Rabbi Yochanan. And the Gemara comes along and says, ah, but that's only talking about places where this is the commercial custom. But in a place where the commercial custom is one where that would not be seen as exceptional, uh, we wouldn't mind that. And then Rav, Ravina comes along and says, Lumasa Machasya Astra de Tavehu. And Masa Machasya is the kind of place where this is not an issue. So now Ravina, Rashi says, Lumasa Machasya Astra de Tavehu, Mekoma Shal Ravina. So that Masa Machasya is Ravina's. Um, his, is where Ravina lives, and he's just telling you halacha that, by the way, don't you don't write, you don't even if you are Rav's stature, it's okay if you take me down the credit uh, in my, where, where I live, and therefore it's okay if I, Ravina, do this. There's no risk of Chil Hashem for me because um, because this, we're not dealing with a place where that is exceptional. But Masa um, Machasya, according to the Agaris Roshiragon, so I'm told by Wikipedia, is also uh, is the same place as Sura. Or at least it was perceived as the successor to Surah, it's, it's geographically close. So it seems to be much more likely that Ravina is not, Mechilat uh, Kvod Rashi, that Ravina is not using this to tell you the halacha in his own city. He's doing this to explain why it wasn't a problem for Rav. Because Masad Mechasia is, right, is the kind of place that's not an issue. But the problem is this defense is, because Rav lived in Surah, of course. But the Rav was Rashiv in Surah. So the problem then, of course, is. But if Rav's action was perfectly, perfectly, completely, right, mutter, even from the perspective of Chil Hashem, then why is he giving this as an example? Right? So we have to, now we have to interpret Rav as saying, like me, if I lived somewhere else and I did this, right, that would be a, right, that would be a Chil Hashem. But of course there's no problem, so that's a very bad example for, uh, for Rav to give. Um, so I think that what the Gemara is doing is expressing its discomfort 
with Rav's giving his example on the edge, and the Gemara's answer is, yeah, it's on the edge, but at the end of the day, Rav didn't have to stay up at night, but it's part of the greatness of Rav, that even in a, in a place where this was fairly ordinary, Rav still worried that it would be perceived as a Chalash. Now, why would Rav worry about this, and why is it fair? Uh, right, because the question raised by Rabbi Yochanan. So I'm wondering whether it's particularly a question that like, people, what people have is a reputation as representatives of Rebbe They carry the Shem Hashem on them. Right, there is a Talmud Chacham, and there, right, there is a there is a Balmaisa. Right, there is there's a Mefursam b'Chasidut or or Chasidim. And that gives them a certain kind of um, public reputation, which they can trade off on. So what Rav is really worried about is that he's taking something on credit, and he's not sure that somebody else in the same economic circumstances would be extended that credit. And so that really is a chil Hashem Hashem. If you have a reputation garnered, gained, because you stand for Hashem in some way, and then you use that to... Um, use that to gain something else, and that's why Rav is marginal. So that way we can explain that Rav is marginal, in that uh, right, he's doing an, ac- an action which he's worried, even though it's perfect, it's it's not utterly unusual, but maybe in most places, right, extending credit is usual for some people and not for others. And the reason that he's being extended credit, he fears, is because of his Torah, not because of his economics, and that he thinks is uh, maybe a Chil Hashem. And Rabbi Yochanan is in a situation where it's his choice not to publicly declare that he is no longer capable of that kind of um, of that kind of concentration. That means that he's also right. That he's also a prisoner in some way of his uh, of his reputation, even though he's acting uh, he's acting by us. So that right, that might be a way of um, understanding what's going on in that sugya. You have different solutions. Rashi's solution is chote um, uh, but really hard. Um, the way of reading it, that doesn't really solve the Gona uh, Noz very well um, either, and like maybe people shouldn't, right? I don't think Rashi solves the Gona Noz problem. The Ramam leaves the names out. Maybe he's trying to solve that problem. The Chida uh, solves it by saying that it's it's enough if you, even if you just have the reputation, even though uh, even though you don't deserve it, that doesn't seem to be such good shot in the Ramam because the Ramam talks about Hakol Lefi Gad Loshel Chacham. There's an interesting compromise in the Divrei Yirmiyahu. Where he thinks that the right language of the Ram is Gadol Batorah Mefursam Bechasidus. So he says, ah, so Gadol Batorah is an objective characteristic, Mefursam Bechasidus is, uh, is a subjective one, so right, maybe the Chidaz the claim only applies to Chasidus and not, uh, Gado, and not Torah, and you have to have both in order to be Chil Hashem. Really very odd. Um, and it still strikes me as just really odd, like, is it really true that the only, way, the only person who can make a Chil Hashem is somebody who already has a reputation for greatness? Uh, that's not the way they taught us in elementary school when we you know, we went on trips and they told us don't make a chil Hashem. Um, it's possible that some, right that you make a chil Hashem because children reflect on their parents. School right school children reflect on their whole communities. So it's your action, and of course the adults are onsim anusim right in a, anusim if you if the children misbehave, but you can violate chil Hashem bonus. So in fact. You, the children, maybe you're not the ones violating the Easter, but you are making a Chil Hashem, 
because right because you're, it's right so it's possible to solve that issue by saying that making a chil Hashem can be done even by the person who is not the uh, who is not the one who is at risk of violating l'sachal Hashem Hashem, or it's possible to say that um, all Jews uh, have one hopes in the world some kind of reputation which creates some kind of expectation of proper behavior because you identify yourself with Torah. To the extent that you identify yourself with Torah, only, maybe only Jews who identify themselves with Torah can violate this, or maybe in many parts of the world, whether Jews identify themselves that uh, identify themselves that way, they're anusim. Other people perceive them as standing for Torah, and so it's subject not only right. So it's not only how great you are um, objectively; it's also how great you are relative to context, or maybe not even how great you are. But as um, the Chida says, it's how you are perceived. So any Jew in a situation where, worthy or not, they are perceived in some way of standing for Torah, has the capacity to, uh, to make a Chalashem. Okay, I think that is um, enough for this week.